Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Sound Stories, an inspirational podcast for creative professionals and storytellers who want to improve their lives at home and at work. I'm Stephanie Cicerelli, your host and co-founder of Voices.com. As a storytelling format, filmmaking offers tremendous opportunities for expression, but it also presents intense challenges to those who are bringing the narratives together. And then added on top of all that, the ups and downs, are the other creative struggles for those who work in film, specifically the struggle to balance the need to produce work that's commercially viable, along with the desire to use the medium for creative expression. Noam Kroll is a Los Angeles-based, award-winning film and commercial director and founder of the boutique production house Creative Rebellion. His work can be seen at international film festivals, on network television, and in various publications across the globe. Passionate about sharing his knowledge with other filmmakers, whether they're beginning or established, Noam is also a prolific content creator and educator. I was always kind of interested in film from a young age. It's kind of the typical story. I guess a lot of people that are doing this will say they were, you know, always tinkering around with cameras and this and that. Um, and I always, you know, I was always just shooting little films. And, and I guess around 21, 22, I just started to kind of realize that it was possible to actually make a living um, making uh, content. At that point, I hadn't quite made that jump to working more on like narrative projects uh, other than if it was just a personal kind of fun project for myself. Um, But as far as uh, seeing a path to uh, just have a career and make a living, um, I saw a lot of opportunities for like freelancing jobs and uh, just ways that I could actually um, take a camera and, and, and editing software and do all this stuff that I'm already doing kind of as a hobby and actually make a living doing it. So it started off very much um, as almost an experiment to see can, you know, this didn't really feel like a real job to me. So can, how, how long can I kind of do that on a freelance level? I realized that the entrepreneurial side of me also wanted to um, have my own production company. So not just be kind of a gun for hire to go and shoot and edit something, but actually to have a production company. So that's where Creative Rebellion started. There's a lot of business in the art and there's a lot of art in the way that you do business. So, you know, I think there's a a ton of crossover there. And honestly, it just gives me so much satisfaction as a filmmaker who uh, struggled to kind of learn the ropes as I was starting to help other people along the way and see them reach their goals um, as quickly and as uh, efficiently as possible. Part of that kind of raison d'etre, you know, why you're doing what you're doing must have really inspired the work that you've done and helped you to get the attention of bigger brands, uh, you know, to attract them to work with you. So like, what, what is it that you do differently that helps you to get those bigger clients? You know what? I think it it's evolved over the years. I think in the early days, what it was, um, was just doing things in a way that is not only hopefully creatively um, on par with what they're looking for or exceeding their expectations, but also being able to um, do it financially in a way that is affordable and that is kind of a no-brainer. Because at the end of the day, if you want to work with a client, no matter how big or how small they are, budgets are always a concern. And if you are able to deliver the quality that matches or exceeds what that client is looking for and do it at a price that is significantly less than what they expect to be paying, um, from my experience, they're going to take a chance on you. And that kind of mentality has really um, been something that I've always, to this day, I really still try to employ with all of my projects. And if we're bidding on a job, 
Um, what is the angle that we can bring that someone else is not bringing? And oftentimes that has been um, a result of um, my experience or my team's experience that I work with. Um, our background in film and in narrative productions, because um, for instance, if you're doing a corporate spot, most corporate video companies kind of have and I can't say all, there's some really great ones out there, but a lot of them have a very kind of set kind of formula that they work with and uh, from a budget level and a creative level and it works for them, there's nothing wrong with that. But um, when we would come in, we'll say, look, we may not have done a ton of videos in your exact space, but we've done um, cinematic projects that are not only commercials, but also film work. And we're going to bring a lot of that, um, which is traditionally uh, at least considered to be a little bit, uh, you know, of a different tier of production work from, you know, a crew standpoint and production value standpoint. We're going to bring that to this much smaller project or this corporate project or this commercial. So I think on the creative side, um, that's been definitely one of the keys. Wow, you sound really organized. Like, I don't know you very well, but from what I'm hearing, there's a lot of lean, kind of like you've planned to be very efficient, uh, but you're also using your creative skills to make something that might be a smaller production uh, to kind of give the impression that it is a much larger one in terms of its production values and, and just the way that you go about it. So in that same vein, Noam, can you tell us about one memorable project or, or perhaps it was something that you remember about um, the way that you became the artist that you are now uh, that you might want to talk about? Sure. So probably the most memorable project that I can think of is by far the least glamorous, the least the project I'm least proud of to to show anybody today. But it's memorable because I learned uh, the most from it. And it was one of the very first jobs I ever did, which also happened to be a TV commercial. And it was a local again, this was still while I was living in, in Canada and in Toronto. It was a local uh, commercial for a health food company. And it was the first time I got to direct something that was actually going to be on TV. Um, it was, a, again, that may sound cool and great, which it very much was at the time. But in retrospect, it was not, we're not talking a, a Super Bowl commercial. This was very much a local, um, you know, local market spot. Um, but, uh, but it was just so rewarding because for the first time I actually got to see that I could work on something that is going to be broadcast and, and just having that, um, having that kind of mentality when you're working on a project for the first time, it really just changes the way that you feel and the way that you realize that your work can reach people. And I think when you have that understanding, it shifts the work itself. So every, every shot that you frame, every choice that is made from a creative standpoint, you know that um, at least to me, it had that much more importance to it because it was going to reach uh, a real audience. And a lot of the things that I, I did over the years from a practical standpoint, I learned on that shoot. We did everything from, you know, working with my first rental house to uh, my first green screen shoot, understanding how to pull a, a key, which means removing the green screen and post, um, scheduling and doing a shot list, all the stuff that now I would kind of do day to day on projects, I'd never done any of that before. So it was really uh, a great learning experience to, to have to do it on a professional level. 
Um, and uh, I remember we rented the camera. It was a really cool, at the time, like one of the first HD cameras that you could get. And we had it all weekend and we had to shoot just one day. So I ended up shooting a bunch of stuff with, with a friend of mine, little experimental short film uh, on the side. So that was that was kind of a nice bonus too. I love how that initial experience taught you so much about what actually goes into, you know, the process and everything you just listed. Um, I can only imagine how and how nerve wracking and how much pressure you must have felt too to know that my work is going to be watched by real people. It's going to be on TV. Um, but as the time has gone on and certainly as your client list has expanded, no doubt you've you've had even bigger opportunities to shine on TV or film or, or whatever it might be. Can you tell us about a more recent project that you've been working on where you you've had the opportunity to showcase your work in front of the, the greater audience. Sure. So I think two that come to mind were we did a, a project with Google, which was a lot of fun. And they uh, they came down from where we're in Los Angeles. They came down from Silicon Valley and we did a shoot with them. Um, and that was just really great to work in that world a little bit because I have some other clients in the tech space, um, but I'd never wor worked with a client uh, as large as Google. Um, I've had some other uh, very big companies I've worked with, but they're certainly, um, I guess one of the largest in the world now. So it was a really kind of crazy experience just to work with them and understand how their different teams and departments work. And, um, and that was just in itself as just in terms of, uh, an experience in, in a client building relationship and all of that, it was really, really great. Um, and then this year, one of the, um, one of the highlights commercial wise was a project we did for, uh, NBC universal. So they wanted to do an ad campaign, um, for one of their networks. Um, they're actually called what's called channel IDs, which are the little like 15 second tags to kind of promote, a, a network. Um, and they wanted to do them in a really full blown way where it was really stylized and there was a lot of different, uh, ideas that they wanted to create and because they were going to be broadcast um, internationally they had to have a really uh, high amount of production value but had to also be very much on brand with what they were doing uh, creatively on the network which is it's the type of network that shows a lot of um, they show a lot of like CSI and crime scene kind of shows so we ended up shooting these really cool beautiful little vignettes um, that were stylized so they could actually look like they would have almost been in one of these shows that they're airing and it was just really fun because normally um, when I'm shooting something, especially on the film level, you know, I'll shoot uh, 10 pages of material a day, which if, if people don't come up from a production uh, production background, that is a lot of material in a day. Um, whereas on this, we're shooting, you know, for 15 seconds, we're having, we have, you know, four days to shoot this content. So it was really an amazing experience just to let it breathe and to see what can we do when we're not jamming as much as we can into a crazy 12 hour day and instead we're gonna we're gonna get a lot of really really great content but we have so much time to do it so uh so again creatively that was a lot of fun and and they were they were just such a great client to work with as well well fantastic and you know uh, all the work that you're doing even though it might be fun and rewarding like nothing worth doing ever comes easy right Noam so you know in your line of work what would you consider to be the most challenging part and how do you deal with it well I think the most challenging part is sticking 
to it. Um, and this is coming from the film side. So we've been talking a lot about the advertising and creative side. Um, but for me personally, as much as I love doing that kind of work and will continue to do that for the foreseeable future, um, my my main focus, creatively speaking, and for the long term is on content creation. So writing and directing narrative feature films. Um, so that um, everything else that I do really is in support of that. So whether it's doing a commercial, running a blog, um, having a podcast, all of that is to allow me to continue to make films. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's just kind of part of the same continuum. So I think speaking from that point of view as a filmmaker, the hardest part is just sticking to it and finding a way to kind of make it work because there's so many talented people that I've met over the years who, um, have kind of, I guess you could say stopped, um, just stopped doing what they were doing or shifted or moved into a totally different industry and essentially have given up, um, not because they weren't talented enough, but just because the grind of having to kind of, um, do everything, do a lot yourself and just do so much stuff that is not really what you want to be doing day to day, but you have to do, um, it, it, you just have to be kind of willing to deal with all of the, um, all of the, the little nuances of running a business while you're also being creative and sticking to it over the long haul while people are telling you, um, to some degree, you know, either directly or indirectly that, you know, it's, it's not good enough, or maybe you should try something else. So I think the number one advice I always give to filmmakers that are just starting out is just keep doing it because 90% of the people that you know are going to quit within five years. So if you're the one that keeps doing it, you're just going to keep getting better and better and better. And you're going to prove nobody's perfect when they start, but you're going to keep improving and you're going to keep forging new relationships and new connections. So if you can crack that code of how do you stick to it on your own terms and it's different for everybody, then I think you're, you're going to be in good shape. Well, I love that. It, it, a lot of, you know, life is just showing up or in this case being persistent, right? So, and as you just mentioned, Noam, your work tends to fall into the two buckets and commercial work we've talked a lot about. Um, but, you know, you have this real love for filmmaking and it comes across in your own uh, personal website that is, you know, separate from Creative Rebellion and in the kind of the work that you do to help educate other people. So I'm just, just curious here. Um, you know, you have two areas that you love to work in. They may overlap a bit, but they could be different in other ways way. So how is it that you can mentally make the switch from being Noam, you know, the commercial producer and Noam, the artistic filmmaker? Well, I think one thing I've learned over the years, just I think it was uh, actually Robert Rodriguez that said this. So I'm kind of maybe stealing it to a degree from him. But he said this and he's for anyone listening that doesn't know him. He's he's a very well-known filmmaker and and got his start um, making very famously making a movie for $7,000 in 1992 and nobody had ever done that. And, and it blew up at Sundance and he's just, I really admire his work ethic because he works exceptionally hard, but he also does things kind of his own way and he kind of blazes his own path. Um, and I think one of the things probably that I, I learned from him recently is that when you're a creative person, really that comes before 
everything else that you do. So it, it doesn't really matter if one day you're wearing the hat of a producer, one day you're the CEO, or one day you're the director, or you're the PA, or you're the you know craft services person cooking lunch for everybody. It's just it, what satisfies a creative mind is being able to exercise their creativity. So I get just as much satisfaction at the end of a day uh, taking my guitar and, and strumming a few chords on it as I do, um, you know, directing a scene or uh, producing something with a client. It all kind of comes from the same uh, part of the brain, in, at least how I feel. And I think that um, making that switch from one to the other, I think a lot of it, doing it successfully, um, often comes down to not really looking at it as making a switch and just looking at it as I'm still doing the same thing. I'm still being creative. I'm still solving problems and I'm still creating, um, you know, opportunities to uh, be creative and to make art. But now I'm just funneling that energy into a, a different challenge or a different problem. And in my previous years, I'd made the mistake of really drawing a line in the sand and saying, you know what, today I'm only going to work on a commercial job. I'm going to produce. I'm going to think about the bottom line. I'm going to do this, that. And that's just not really how I work best. I can't speak for everybody else because, you know, uh, I'm I'm only, you know, one person kind of giving my advice on this. But but for me, I find that to enjoy anything, I need to find the creativity in it. So as long as I'm um, being creative, then it's sort of an effortless transition between writing a feature film script or sitting in a client session, editing a commercial. That reminds me of something I recently read. It was uh, actually in David Ogilvie's book, Confessions of an Advertising Man. And something that he said was that if you're going to make something, then you really have to love it and believe it for it to come across authentically. And so are you able to work on a project that you aren't passionate about? Like, Can you still be a creative professional uh, when that work that you're doing you know, is commercially viable, but your heart's just not in it? Well, that's a really great question. And I guess the short answer is no, I couldn't do that if it was a film project, because that is what I consider to be um, just the artwork that I do. And I would want the integrity behind that to be something that reflects what I'm passionate about, what I believe in and what I love as a creative person. However, 95% of what I work on is not passion projects. So these are commercials, these are branded content pieces, things like that. Um, I can absolutely uh, tap into that kind of creative energy without having to love it to the same degree that I would on a film. And I think that's for two reasons. The first being, I'm not thinking of it as um, part of a kind of a body of work of, you know, I'm still relatively early on in my career, who knows what will happen with my film work in the, in the coming years or not. Um, but on my own terms, however many people see the films that I make, I still want to make sure that I'm happy with them and that they represent what I wanted to say and that they are meaningful stories. Even if I may not be um, passionate to the same degree about that commercial um, or, or whatever it may be, I may not love it to the same amount that I'm going to love a film project. I'll still love the creative process and I'll just 
that is where I can put on another hat and say, oh, let's just be a creative problem solver as opposed to uh, if I'm thinking of it through a directorial lens and an artistic lens exclusively, then that comes with a little bit more, uh, a little bit more of a challenge for me personally in terms of having to really love something uh, and commit to it. So uh, again, I hope I hope that makes sense. I know it's a little ambiguous. Yeah, well, the authenticity does shine through. And of course, you'll be far more invested in something that speaks to you personally, right? Like be it that piece of commercial work may actually speak to you personally, depending on, on what it is and the brand that you're representing. Um, you know, and I know that you dedicate a lot of your time and energy to helping others to kind of discover who they are as creatives and, and especially those who are working in film to help them to get better at their craft. So just a question to you here, Noam, but what motivates you to extend yourself in this way through your blog and your podcast? Well, I'll tell you, it's changed also over the years. What motivates me now is knowing that from a selfish perspective that it actually, as much as it benefits other people, it benefits me as well. And, and I'll explain why. And, and it's obviously my first and foremost goal with my blog is to educate other people. Um, but I've realized over the years how much um, when, you know, it's, it's kind of a cliche thing to say, but when, you know, when you do help other people and you help educate them, it really just the, you know, whatever you want to call it, the karmic effect of that does come back and it gives you a lot of joy and pleasure to help other people. And it also, from a practical standpoint, um, has a lot of, uh, great advantages in terms of just meeting people and building a network and building a fan base for audiences. But when I first started, I, I didn't really think that way or understand any of that to be completely honest. I was moving uh, to Los Angeles at the time that I started my blog and I've wanted to live here essentially my entire life and didn't really know anybody here. Me and my wife were, were moving here uh, together other than each other. We pretty much, you know, didn't know anybody. So I thought a blog would be a really great way of just getting my name out there a little bit as I'm meeting more people. Uh, you know, there's something, if you Google me, something will come up. There was some kind of online presence just to, you know, at least compensate for the fact that uh, at uh, whatever age I was, 27 years old, I was going to be moving to a new city and starting fresh, not knowing anybody. Um, so that was how it started. But then a few years into it, I started realizing, you know, why do I keep doing this? I wasn't at that point, I wasn't selling any products or monetizing it at all. I was just, why do I keep doing this? And I realized, I just really enjoyed, again, almost, you know, it's, it's sounds not selfish, but it's kind of selfish, but I enjoyed sharing with other people because I felt a, a personal satisfaction in that. Um, and I also learned so much along the way by sharing with them and answering their questions and having to do research myself and expand my own knowledge. Um, and I've had a lot of amazing opportunities, um, come from that on a business level too. So it's, it's just been, very full circle. And, and I think, you know, I, I, I listen to, uh, interviews with a lot of CEOs and business leaders. I read a lot of books on, you know, entrepreneurship and, and one of the most common threads that I see with really, really successful people in business is that they spend a lot of their time, effort, and even money, uh, giving to other people because they understand that that is a very cyclical thing and that it's just kind of part of the equation. And, you know, hopefully if I continue to grow in my career, uh, you know, I, I know there's no question that I'll, I'll always continue to give back in any way that I am possibly able to. Probably the most important 
thing that I try to drill home in so many different ways on my on my blog is just how do you actually go from having this kind of dream or goal of making a movie to making that film? And I used to, and I still do sometimes do some blogging on more technical stuff like cameras or color correction or that kind of stuff because it is practical and, and people seem to enjoy that. But what I get the most joy from and what I'm kind of, uh, I guess, is most in line with my ideology and mentality right now is just the notion of how do you make something if you don't have any resources, experience or money, but you have this big goal of making a movie, it seems like this impossible thing. How can you do it on your own terms with no resources, with no money? Um, and how do you, you know, just become resourceful and make it happen for yourself, regardless of how many people want to tell you that you're you're not allowed to or able to do that. So I think that's kind of the broad topic that I, I really love to explore in, in many different ways. Yeah, getting started as a filmmaker or getting started in filmmaking. What is one storytelling technique that you can't do without and why? I think from a technical level, one of the things I really like to focus on is, uh, I guess, what I would call sort of the art of coverage. So when you're shooting a, a film or a commercial or anything, coverage essentially refers to all the shots that are not your main shot. So if you have a shot of two actors sitting at a table having a conversation, you might have what's called a master shot of that scene that just is a wide angle of the whole thing happening. But then your coverage would be the close-ups of each actor or the coffee being put down or the check being signed or whatever it may be. And that coverage, um, finding a lot of different techniques for how to use coverage effectively um, is something that uh, it, it may sound a little dry, but is actually really exciting for me because it's what I think separates a lot of the films uh, and the work, even commercial work that is shot and directed in a really, really unique way. And that just grabs your attention as opposed to something that you can kind of go either way on. So I think, you know, on the practical end, really, just honing that craft of, of understanding coverage and on the process end, um, making sure that that you have a, a good mechanism to get those stories written and uh, and shaped in the way that that uh, you want them to ultimately appear. Well, thank you. That That's all brilliant. Now, I'm sure others are wondering, and certainly I am, but how is it that you stay inspired? Like, where do you derive just kind of, uh, I guess, inspiration or, or the fire in your belly from? And also, uh, could you give us some examples of, of books or works that you've consumed that have helped you on this journey? Sure. Well, I think the, it, it comes somewhat from within. I think most creative people, it, it's sort of hard to put your finger on where it comes from, but there's just something, this nagging feeling that's always like, you know, you're not working on something creative now. Why not? What should you be working on? And and I don't know where that comes from. I think it's just something that um, many of us probably have to some extent. Um, but I think in terms of going a step further, because there's certainly days where I'm just discouraged or, uh, you know, tired or don't want to work on something. And I think where I find the inspiration in those moments is certainly first and foremost, just other films. If I just put on a really, really great film that inspires me, nothing is more powerful, uh, to me in my process than doing that. And, and I've most recently have found that in, Older films, so classic films or uh, or foreign films, specifically uh, French cinema, 
uh, the French new wave is, is a really, really big influence on myself in the way that, you know, I, I love how they, again, kind of broke the rules and had this very almost in its day sort of punk rock attitude to how they made movies totally broke the rules and, and changed the face of cinema forever. And that still exists in French cinema today. Um, so I think, you know, I can go in and watch a film like Breathless uh, from 1960 and, and that will inspire me any day of the week. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, and then there's always books. So, um, I mentioned Robert Rodriguez before, um, but he has a book called rebel without a crew and it feels like, you know, he just, everything he is saying, it just resonates with, with how I feel as a filmmaker about just doing it. Don't worry what anyone says or thinks, just figure out a way to do it. And and you just see him actually uh, through this series of journal entries that are his real journal entries when he made his first film. Uh, you see how he crafted this this really this masterpiece when he was like 23 years old. Um, so those are great. Um, and then there's podcasts. I'm every day I either sometimes multiple, but I either watch a movie, listen to podcasts on screenwriting or filmmaking, um, and, uh, and try to read something. Um, so it's a kind of a combination of all of that. Well, you think about it, it's like a smorgasbord almost like you're, you're going to take a little from that column, a little from that one. And, and it really does in certain ways, take a village of media to raise or to, to keep an artist, a creative person inspired and motivated. So thank you for sharing some of those go-tos. Like I'm sure everyone's going to be Googling breathless um, to see what that film is like and if it will help them. Um, and also just podcasts and, and being able to engage all your senses, you know, you're watching, listening, reading, etc. So, um, you know, We've had such an awesome conversation. I'm so glad that you shared what you did. Now, where can people go to learn more about you? Sure. So my um, blog is where I'm most active. So noamkroll.com. It's spelled N-O-A-M-K-R-O-L-L.com. And I try to post a couple times a week. I usually post one article on there per week on filmmaking. And I do a podcast every Thursday. Um, I also do a newsletter on Sunday where I send content that doesn't exist on my blog. So if anyone's interested in filmmaking tips and advice, you can sign up for that also on my site. Um, and my company site is creativerebellion.com. And um, I think that's it. Social media, it's just, it's easy. If you can spell, figure out how to spell my name, it's easy. Uh, N-O-A-M-K-R-O-L-L. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So I think that sums it up. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Noam. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Sound Stories. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We hope to have you back for our next episode of Sound Stories.